0: If I've not had the privilege of meeting you, my name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here at Substance, and I get to hang out with the Worcester congregation the majority of the time, but I'm really excited to be with you here this morning as we find ourselves in week three of our eight-week series on the parables of Jesus. Now, if you are newly joining us or if you're unfamiliar with that term, parable, a parable is simply a short story story that illustrates a deep spiritual reality. And throughout Jesus' earthly ministry, he taught in parables a lot, and he did so in order to illustrate for us what life under his rule is like, what life in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of heaven, is like. Now, the the kingdom of heaven... Is, is anywhere and everywhere that Jesus is king, and, and it includes anyone who trusts and submits to him as king. So if you are a Christian, if you trust and submit to Jesus as king, you are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven right now and forever. Forever. Because the kingdom of heaven is an eternal kingdom that will be realized in full when Christ returns and and the new creation is ushered in. But, But with our kingdom citizenship right now, in this moment, comes a new way of living and being. A new way of living and being. That is the point of Jesus' parables. He's illustrating for us in these short stories what the Christian life ought to look like. And so two weeks ago when we started this series, we looked at the parable of the treasure and the pearl, and we were reminded how, as Christians, our relationship with Jesus is the most precious thing in all the world. And it is worth giving up everything for. It's worth giving up everything that might keep us from him. Last week, we looked at the parable of the unforgiving servant. Remember that? It wasn't too long ago. And we were reminded how as Christians, though we are prone to keeping record of the sins that others commit against us, we ought to instead be forgiving because Christ has forgiven us of so much. And today we're gonna be looking at the workers in the vineyard. It's a parable that offers us spiritual wisdom for the moments in life that seem unfair. If you've ever felt overlooked or undervalued or underappreciated, maybe at work or or at school or even in the local church, I believe, I trust this parable will speak to you and minister to you, all of us. And my prayer is to that end, that each of us would see how the seemingly unfair moments in our lives are actually occasions to trust God and celebrate God's grace to us. And rather than assuming a posture of comparison with our brothers and sisters on either side of the seat to us, rather than taking a posture of comparison with everyone around us, my prayer is that we would be led into a posture of Christ-centered communion together in the body of Christ that is Substance Church right here. And so if you have your Bibles, would you please turn with me to Matthew chapter 20. We're gonna start reading in verse one and we're gonna go through 16. And kind of the immediate context here is that Jesus in his close followers, his disciples, uh, they've traveled south of Galilee, they're likely in a region known as Perea, if you're into biblical geography, but even here, as Jesus and his disciples have traveled, the large crowds of Jews and Gentiles and religious leaders have continued to follow him because of his remarkable teaching and and his miracle working. So let's go ahead and read Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too. And whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again, about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house saying, these last worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker As I give to you, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Father, I continue to pray the same prayer uh, throughout this series that I started with. And I, I say it again, grant us ears not only to listen, grant us ears to hear what you are saying to us this morning. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. So... Moments before Jesus told this parable, he was approached by a wealthy young man. Many of you know the story, the story of the rich young ruler who wanted to know how he could inherit eternal life. That was his question. And when Jesus answers the man by telling him, you need to go and sell all of your possessions, the man is heartbroken and he walks away see the man lived his life in obedience to all of the commandments supposedly that's what he said except for apparently one the first one have no other gods before me and so because his god was his possessions and there was no way he could part with them he left he he parted he walked away from christ Now, Peter, one of Jesus' closest followers, immediately asks Jesus in chapter 19, verse 27, a couple verses before our passage this morning, he asks, well, we have left everything and followed you, Jesus. We've left all of our possessions. We've left family. We've left jobs and, and inheritance. What then will we have? Jesus, what are you gonna give to us who are so committed to you? As your most loyal followers, what will our reward be? And after Jesus explains to him that there will indeed be a special place in the kingdom for Peter and the other disciples, he then adds this in verse 30 that really serves as a bookend to our parable today. He says, but Peter, many who are first will be last. And the last first. And we need to keep that line in our heads as we consider this parable of the workers where Jesus has just told us. We've just read it. It's, he tells us about a master of a house who is a landowner. He owns a vineyard who goes out early in the morning and the work day in this culture would have started at 6 a.m. So he goes out at 6 a.m. He hires laborers for the day at the rate of one denarius each, which was a fair, honest day's wage. Now, at the third hour, three hours from the start of the day, 9 a.m., Jesus or the, the master hires more workers, telling them in verse 4, and whatever is right, I will pay you. Now, apparently, the master had a good reputation because these guys don't bat an eye. They take him at his word, and they go out and start working. None of us would do that. I'll just pay you whatever is right. Okay, not a problem, see? And he does it at the, same, at the sixth hour as well, which would have been noon. And the ninth hour, the master goes back to the marketplace at 3 p.m. And again, hires even more workers. Now, it was common during harvest season, especially for landowners that owned extra large plots, that they would need to hire many extra hands to bring in the harvest before it spoiled. So this parable would have sounded about right. It wouldn't have been too strange to those who were gathered around Jesus. But the parable isn't finished It gets a bit strange. Verse six, about the 11th hour, which would have been 5 p.m., one hour before quitting time. At 6 p.m., the master goes and he finds other laborers standing idle because they were unable all day to find any work. And he hires them. Now roughly one hour later at quitting time, The foreman is charged to line everyone up and to pay them their wages. And everyone receives one denarius, including the workers who were hired last, much to their delight. They hadn't been able to find work all day, and yet they get to go home to their families with a full day's wage. And the foreman continues all the way down the line, and he gets to those who had been hired first, and they too receive one denarius for their full day's work. Now, it's true that they had agreed to work for this denarius, but their expectations had changed when they saw that the latecomers, the the 11th hour workers, were paid one denarius. Now, all of a sudden, the first workers who'd been hired, their mindset has shifted. They're expecting to be paid in proportion, which would have been one denarius per hour. And most of us would have expected the same, right? I mean, that's only fair. And fortunately, the workers, you know, the first workers, they have charitable attitudes and they, and they are thankful and they walk on their way, don't they? No, no, they, they freak out. Grumbling out loud, one of them says to the master, which would have been unheard of in this context, a laborer speaking to a master in this way, he says in verse 12, but these last workers worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. And the master calmly replies, verse 13, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to the last worker as I gave to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Now, pause there for just a minute. The purpose of the parables is to illustrate for us what life is like under Jesus' rule and in the kingdom of heaven. And what Jesus is showing us in this parable is that God's kingdom operates by a different economy than man's kingdom, a completely different economy. Man's kingdom operates by merit, by equity. When we put a bunch of work into our house, if you're a house owner, home owner, you expect to make that back, it's equity. You put the work in, and you get what you deserve. Merit is all about fairness. Fairness according to our rubric of fairness. Man's kingdom operates by merit, but God's kingdom operates by grace. And grace, by definition, is not fair. By definition, grace is unmerited favor unmerited generosity in the kingdom of heaven where grace rules no one gets what they deserve that's point number one this morning point number two we're going to look at why it's really good news that no one gets what they deserve and three we're going to look at what it means for you and I they're very practical applicable uh, things in this passage. Let's look at number one. In the kingdom of heaven, no one gets what they deserve. In in the the movie, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, the real one, not the fake one, the, the old one, right? Not Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. There's a scene in the middle of the factory tour where Wonka hands each of the kids a piece of candy, right? An everlasting gobstopper. Love that name. He no sooner distributes the candy before one of the kids, Veruca Salt, accuses him of unfairly giving Violet Beauregard two everlasting gobstoppers. Anybody recalling this scene? Everybody filled with nostalgia now at this point? The irony of this scene is that Veruca is standing in the middle of a chocolate paradise that she does not own, eating delicious candy that she did not buy on a -a once-in-a-lifetime tour that she did not earn, and yet she complains that she's being treated unfairly. Even if Mr. Wonka... Had given Violet two pieces of candy, is he not allowed to do as he chooses with what belongs to him? While on an all expenses paid tour of his chocolate factory, would he be doing anyone wrong if he had given anyone two or four or a hundred pieces of candy? The answer I'll help no! He would have done no one wrong because none of them. Deserved to be there in the first place. Now the first workers in Jesus' parable also did not deserve what they had. They did not deserve to be hired by the master in the first place. They were not owed a job that day. They were not owed what some would say was a generous Wage. They were owed essentially nothing. And Peter, who inquired what his reward might be for being such a committed disciple, was owed nothing traveling in a group that he didn't gather, working in a ministry that he didn't start, sharing life with a Savior that he didn't seek, and yet he was concerned about a reward for his efforts. And I'm not trying to belittle Peter. I'm not. He makes tremendous sacrifice for the kingdom and goes on to, by church tradition, die an excruciating death. I'm simply trying to highlight The fact that in the kingdom of God, no one is owed the golden ticket. No one gets what they truly deserve. And here's why that's really good news, point number two. Because we all deserve, to bring this now to the spiritual significance of the parable, we all deserve hell. None of us deserves the unmerited generosity of the master. None of us deserves grace. Now, this is a sobering word because I think many of us often think to ourselves, well, that's, that's a little harsh, man. I mean, I'm not that bad of a person. I'm actually quite good. But it begs the question, when we allow ourselves to think down these trails, in comparison to whom are we supposedly so good I mean, I'll give you, in comparison to Kim Jong-un, I'm a really good person. In comparison to my neighbor, my coworker, I'm good. In comparison to some of my family members, I'm a really good person. But what about in comparison to the utterly, holy, spotlessly righteous and blamelessly perfect son of God who never once had an impure thought who never once spoke an untruthful word, who never once looked at someone lustfully or condescendingly, who never once acted in any way in disobedience to God's law. When we rightly compare ourselves to Jesus, we are quickly reminded that none of us deserves grace Because as Paul writes to the Romans in chapter three, none of us is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together we have become worthless. No one does does good, not even one. Now just to massage this a little bit further, think about how many times, think about how many times in your life You've been dishonest. Think about how many times in your life you've looked at someone inappropriately. Think about how many times in your life you've gossiped about someone behind their back or been selfish with your money and possessions and time. How many times you've gone off the rails at your spouse or your children or neglected to help someone in need. Think of how many times in your life you've overindulged. And then think about the job description for a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. This is what's required to enter the kingdom of heaven per Jesus in Matthew chapter five, verse 48. He says this, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. When we look at ourselves rightly, not in comparison to those around us, but in comparison to the Immaculate Lamb, Jesus Christ. We quickly come to agree with the psalmist who wrote in Psalm 130 Oh Lord, if you keep a record of all of these sins, who will stand? Who among us can stand? D.A. Carson. Uh, theologian uh, says this sobering truth. Do you really want nothing but totally effective instantaneous fairness? Then go to hell. That's a sobering, sobering quote, but it's true. And thank God that the kingdom of heaven does not operate by fairness and merit and equity. Thank God that it doesn't operate by getting what we deserve. Because as David Platt writes, God doesn't owe us salvation for something we've done. He gives us salvation through the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He gives us salvation despite Everything we have done. He owes us nothing, yet He gives us everything in Jesus. And now He has the right to dispense His mercy as He pleases. This is the entire point of Paul's writing in Romans chapter 9 when He says, What shall we say then? Is there injustice? Is there unfairness on God's part? By no means. For He says to Moses, I will have mercy. On whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So it depends not on human will or exertion or effort, but on God who has mercy. What God the Holy Spirit is saying through Paul in Romans 9 is the same same thing the Son of God is saying in today's parable. My economy is not like yours. Grace is not, by definition, fair. It is gloriously generous. Hallelujah. Because we who have given ourselves over to unrighteousness can be exonerated of our debt because of the perfectly righteous and blameless life of Jesus who was given as a substitute on a cross in our place. Grace isn't fair. We don't get what we deserve, and it's good news in the kingdom of heaven. And wrapping our minds around this truth, wrapping our hearts around this truth will lead us to joy, Let's look at number three, what it means for you and I this morning. Now, one of the more obvious applications of this text is that whether God saves you early in your life or right at the last minute, he is still to be praised for his generosity, is he not? And the timing of, of it all is in, in, it no, in no way amounts to unfairness on any level, whether we're saved on our deathbed like the thief on the cross next to Jesus or we're saved to a life of tremendous sacrifice and martyrdom like the Apostle Paul. Whether either of those stories, this is the common denominator, church, we have been saved. We are citizens of the eternal and abundant kingdom of heaven. In verse 14, like the master, God chooses to give as he chooses to give and we who 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 are we to begrudge his generosity like the first workers in verse 15 but unfortunately in our fallenness in our flesh we are all prone to think and to act in the church like the first workers are we not and like veruca salt Now there are many subtle ways that that this plays itself out and we end up acting like the first workers who grumbled at the master. Think of all of the moments, let's even just do church life together as the body of Christ, all of the moments where you have felt others have gotten noticed and you have not. When others have gotten the positions or the promotions that you think you deserve, when others have a seemingly easier and happier life despite not being as committed to Jesus as you might be, when others are spiritually gifted in ways that you might covet, what do we do when we find ourselves in these moments of unfairness in the body of Christ? I... Before um, coming here to, to, to Worcester, I spent a brief time in Columbus. And before that, I, was a, I was, had the privilege of serving as a worship pastor for about 10 years at a church in Newark. And there was, a, there was a guy who was about 15 years my senior. His name was Brett McVicker. He auditioned for our worship team. He was way more gifted than I was, way more talented. Their church ended up folding for reasons that I wasn't fully aware of, but he came and he auditioned. He was well-qualified for the job, but he essentially was auditioning for my position and it, it didn't work out. And man, I have never, ever in my life seen a man who was more qualified, probably more rightfully deserved of a position, receive with such grace and humility a no. And here's where it came from. Dude, Brett McVicar was just excited to be saved by Christ. He was literally willing to do and serve in whatever capacity. Man, the dude was just happy to be here. I love that spirit. And my prayer for us as a church is that each of us would see how the seemingly unfair moments in our lives are occasions to place our trust in and celebrate God's grace to us. That man, we may not get the double pieces of, of, of the everlasting God-stopper, but we're in the factory, we're here. Look at where we are in the kingdom of heaven and, and, and rather than assuming a posture of comparison with our brothers and sisters, always looking across the aisle, what are they getting that I'm not? How are they gifted in, in ways that I'm not? Oh man. What if our prayer in the morning, what if our posture in the morning was, Lord, remind me of all that I've received in you and then let me just go. Let me go meet with the saints as a servant, ready to do whatever it is that you have. We need people like this in the church. This is the church that I'm describing. Now on the converse end, maybe maybe you're here and often, you're not comparing yourself in a, uh, in, in a jealous sort of way to the people next to you. Maybe you just don't feel like you have a spot here. Maybe you're feeling like the 11th hour worker. What's my place? I mean, am I, am I, even, am I even gonna receive any payment? Am I, am I able to plug in? What am I able to do? I just wanna encourage you. Man, you are irreplaceably important and we want you here. You have gifts. Let us help you identify them. We want to get you plugged in, but man, do not look at the person next to you who may be more gifted and think you don't have a place here. That's not true. There was a place for the 11th hour workers as there was the first hour workers. In the kingdom of heaven, we don't have to squabble over portions at the table because we're not at the orphanage anymore. We've been adopted, and we are seated at the king's table, and the king himself, the master himself, will personally see to it that we each receive a portion. There's plenty to go around. I love how, how Jesus cites this in, in verse four of today's parable when he says, man, you go into the vineyard too and whatever is right, I will give you. I'll give you. Oh man, do we trust that? We tr- do we trust that? When we're, we're feeling like we missed out on the promotion that we deserved in the body of Christ or at the workplace, do we believe that man, he, whatever's right, he's gonna give it to us. He knows our need He will give it, but we treasure him first and foremost. He is the pearl. He is the buried treasure. I'm gonna close with this. Philippians 2, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, brothers and sisters, count others as more significant than yourselves. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours. It's already yours, this way of thinking in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, though he was equal with God, he didn't count that equality with God as something to be grasped or leveraged, but he emptied himself. Take note of that. Christ Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of an 11th hour worker, a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death on a cross. Therefore, my beloved, Paul writes to this church and to us, do all things without grumbling or disputing. That you may be blameless and innocent children without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom we get to shine as lights in the world. This is an apologetic. Living out the parable of the workers is an apologetic for the validity of what we say we believe. Is it not? We won't be grumblers we are going to celebrate by God's grace that we don't live in a kingdom of merit any longer. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truths of your word that were inspired by your Holy Spirit through many authors thousands of years ago that are still like a two-edged sword piercing through our hearts I would encourage my brothers and sisters to spit out the bones that were my words and to savor the meat and the substance of scripture this morning. Holy Spirit, would you apply this text to our hearts? Would you give us the ability to comprehend that the kingdom of God operates by grace and that if we find ourselves here this morning, we needn't fear that there's not enough to go around. We simply treasure you and seek you first and all that is needed will be added to us, Lord. Humble us. Humble us, Lord. We thank you for the perfect example of Jesus in whose name we pray, amen.